Jesus is the evangelist who says, follow me. So what should be our evangelistic message? Turn from your sin, right? Follow Christ. Follow him as Lord. Follow him as master. Does he not say in the Gospel of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? Do not do the things that I say. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three of Pastor Lance Quinn's current series, John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists, taken from John's Gospel, chapter one. From the very first part of his public ministry, Jesus demonstrated hospitality. When Philip and Andrew were sent by John the Baptist to follow Jesus, they asked, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus responded, come and you will see. In turn, his new followers wasted little time reaching out to others, including Andrew's brother, Simon, whom Jesus immediately renamed Cephas, or Peter. Like John the Baptist, Jesus began spreading the message of repentance and faith. Repent and believe in the gospel. Soon, as his disciples grew in number, by God's grace, so did his crowd of followers to witness his signs of glory. What does that mean to us? Here's Pastor Lance with part three of John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists. Verse 37, they followed Jesus. Verse 39, he says, come and you will see. Look at verse 43. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and Jesus found Philip and said to him, what? Follow me. It wasn't just, I think I'm a really interesting guy. I think you'd enjoy some fellowship with me. It was, I want you to leave what you're doing. I want you to leave whatever it was, was your lifestyle, even if that meant that it was a lifestyle enmeshed in the rules and regulations of Judaism. I'm calling you to a higher level of discipleship. I'm calling you to bear your own cross and follow me. Now, they didn't understand it at that time, but they would in time, right? This is a call to follow the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 46. They turn around and do the same thing that Jesus is calling them to do. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That's exactly what Jesus said earlier, right? Come and see. They get the idea. We found the Lord. In fact, isn't it true that they know that He is the Messiah, because in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is amazing. Jesus is the evangelist who says, follow me. So what should be our evangelistic message? Turn from your sin, right? Follow Christ. Follow Him as Lord. Follow Him as Master. Does He not say in the Gospel of Luke, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And what? Do not do the things that I say. Which is to say that a person who claims that Jesus is their Savior, but who refuses to follow Him as their Lord, is essentially doing the same thing. 
I say that he's my Lord, at least in the sense that he's my Savior, but I am going to run my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I want to follow him. I want fire insurance. I want to be out of hell. But as far as Jesus being my master, my guide, my teacher, my Lord, the one who calls the shots, the one who tells me what to do, no, 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 I didn't sign up for that. And in fact, in John 6, it said that there were some of his disciples who were not following him anymore. Why were they not following him anymore? Because he gave them the demands of the discipleship and they didn't want to sign up because of the arduous task of following Christ as Lord. Did he not say about his own disciples at one point, fear not, little flock. They understood, even haltingly, what it meant to follow Christ as Lord. This is a part of our evangelistic encounter with those in whom we come in contact. We must tell them. We must tell them that salvation means repentance for the forgiveness of sins, believing in Christ, and following Him as Lord. You say, well, that's so basic. Why do we have to defend the gospel? Why do we have to say that this is the gospel according to Jesus, not these other teachers who say this is the gospel according to Jesus, right? Then you have to delve into the gospel according to the apostles. Because you have to keep elucidating for each age, for every generation, what the true gospel really is. And we take from our teacher, Jesus himself, that when he says, come and follow me, it is a summons to the discipleship of Jesus as Lord. Here's a second thing I see in the evangelistic efforts of Jesus. He exhibited his divinity in order to manifest the fact of his having come from God the Father. He exhibited his divinity in order to manifest the fact of his having come from God the Father. You say, why, why would that be so important? Well, wasn't it true that running around Palestine at this time were a lot of would-be messiahs? We even know from the book of Acts that there was a person, uh, Thaddeus, who apparently was saying that he was the Messiah, and a small group of people were following him. And Jesus says that in the final days, watch out, because there are going to be people who are saying, here he is, he's over here, don't listen to them. So how could Jesus manifest that he was the one who was truly the Messiah sent from God? How do you do that? Well, if you're God, you manifest it by showing your divinity. And how did he show his divinity? Look at John chapter 1 for a couple of instances of that. Look at verse 42. You might not have seen it here, but I think it's incredibly important. He brought him to Jesus. That is, Simon's brother brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic, translated for us as Peter. You say... How does that express his divinity? Well, think about this. Can a mere man come up to another man and say, your name will be changed forever? What compelling nature would you have with that? And wasn't it true to the very point of his death that Simon was forever known as Cephas, as Peter, right? Was he not the person in Matthew 16, who is said by the very nature of the name Peter or Cephas, which is stone or rock, that he becomes one of the foundation stones of the very church of Jesus Christ itself. Ephesians 2.20, that the foundation stones based upon the apostles and the prophets were laid 
Simon Peter being one of the most important of them all. He changed Simon's life. So much so that he even changed his name. That's authority. That speaks of power. And here's another one. If you don't think that that's compelling, here's another one. Look at verse 45. This is amazing. Philip, who was found by the Lord, the Lord went right after him, according to verse 43. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He wasn't dissing Nazareth. He was just saying as a good Jewish boy, Wait a minute. I haven't read anything about Nazareth in the Old Testament. I didn't know that the Messiah was coming from Nazareth himself. What they didn't realize was this. Nazareth, being a part of Galilee, was where Jesus grew up, but it wasn't where he was born, right? He was born where? And that is predicted in the Old Testament, right? It's just that people who didn't know him assumed that he was born in Nazareth and that he grew up in Nazareth and they didn't realize that he was actually the fulfillment of prophecy and Nathaniel didn't know it either. And Philip said, in answer to his query, come and see. Come and see who this man is. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit or guile. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Here's the divinity. Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now this is most interesting. This little phrase, I saw you under the fig tree, could be taken in one of two ways. Number one, it could be taken uh, euphemistically. It's a euphemism in that day and in that time for someone who was actually meditating on the Scripture. That's what that phrase meant euphemistically. I was sitting under the fig tree, right? We do that. We, we talk in euphemisms. If we don't want to say exactly what we were doing in literal terms, we might use some kind of substitute phraseology. We do it all the time. And this is apparently what Nathaniel may have been referring. I, I saw you under the fig tree, and Nathaniel, that, that means he saw me meditating on the Scripture. Where did he see that? How could he know that? And his response Oh my, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In other words, you know me. You know, you're God. You know me. Now, there's a second way to understand this, and it could simply mean not euphemistically, but literally, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you sitting there. And Jesus, using his divinity, shows Nathanael by this very direct means that I am the Son of God. I am the King of Israel. And by the way, when Nathanael says those two things, you're the Son of God and you're the King of Israel, guess where that comes from? Psalm 2, verse 6 and verse 7. And you know, if he was speaking euphemistically and if he was under the fig tree meditating on Scripture, might it have been the case that he was meditating on Psalm 2? And if he was reading Psalm 2 and then Jesus said, I saw you meditating on the Scripture, and I saw you meditating on Psalm 2, 6, and 7, and I'm telling you that I am He. And Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's Jesus manifesting His divinity in order to show everybody that He truly is the One who has come from God the Father. You say, well, how does that relate to me? Again, by way of application. What do we say to people when we witness to them? We can't say, like Nathaniel could, look, I'm telling you, I've got a testimony that beats everybody's testimony. 
He read my mind. He told me he was the fulfillment of the very psalm that I was sitting under the fig tree meditating upon. You and I don't have that testimony, but we do have this testimony. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. If we were talking to a Jewish unbeliever, we might say He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Right? You're again pointing back to the divinity of Jesus as He is revealed on the pages of Holy Scripture. Here's a third and final one about Jesus' evangelistic encounters. This is amazing. He, like John the Baptist, preached the message of repentance and faith. He preached a message of repentance and faith. This is what it says in Mark's gospel. This is Mark chapter 1. This is what Jesus did. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus came into Galilee, verse 14, preaching the gospel of God. And what is the gospel of God? Here's what he said. Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Same message as John the Baptist. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. That speaks of that content of our message. Here's the objective reality. He's God in human flesh. He revealed himself to Nathaniel. That's objective. Nathaniel couldn't do anything other than and affirm his lordship because he read his mind and only God can do that. And the subjective element is for us, And how we preach the gospel, we take the word of God and we preach what it says. And so we too preach repentance and belief in the gospel. That's the kingdom. That's our message. Now this is is amazing to me. Look at verse 50 of John 1. Jesus answered and said to Nathanael, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In other words... Nathaniel, you haven't seen nothing yet. Well, maybe he didn't have that kind of grammar, but the point is proven. And then verse 51, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you, Nathaniel, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In fact, actually, you will see greater things in verse 50 is singular, referring to Nathaniel, and the you in verse 51 is actually all five men, Andrew, John, Philip, Nathaniel, and Simon. He says, you guys, you, you think you know who I am, and you do to some extent, but these are just previews of coming attractions. Because one day, just like Jacob in Genesis 28, who was wrestling, he was wrestling with this sort of dark, shadowy figure, the pre-incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, And here's what Jesus says to these five men. You will see greater things, and here's one of them. You will see heaven opened, and the bridge, the chasm that separates heaven and earth, will actually be filled, will be bridged by myself, the Son of Man. You will see the heavens opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is a clear attestation of the reality that Jesus is God in human flesh. In fact, he even uses his favorite title to refer to himself, the Son of Man, which is the very fulfillment of Daniel 7.13. I am the Son of Man. And if you think, Nathaniel, 
that I wowed you by telling you that I saw you sitting under the fig tree, you're actually going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And that will give you the truth, all the truth that you need to know that I have come from the Father. Now, this is amazing. You say, well, can I say that in my evangelistic encounters to the Nathaniels in my life? No. But you can say this. Jesus Christ is the one identified as having the angels ascend and descend upon him because he's the one who brought heaven to earth. He's the Messiah sent from God. We can say that because that's true from Scripture. Now, let's conclude like this. When we look at the life of Jesus and the other evangelistic encounters that we will see in the Gospel of John, like the woman at the well, like Nicodemus, we're going to see his evangelism. So we'll set that aside for a moment. But if you think of John the Baptist as we close, here is an amazing thing that just after these events, John the Baptist is taken into prison and then he's ultimately beheaded. And I said this was probably the end of his encounters with Jesus. And you remember I said his life in that sense essentially was over. The end of his ministry had come. And you remember it was a very somber and sober time even for us to reflect on the fact that John the Baptist, even as that forerunner, had a job to do and he did it and he took his disciples and he said, now you follow Jesus and then he's in prison and then he's ultimately beheaded and that sounds like a, a sad thing. And you remember when I opened up and I said that John 1-7 declares about John the Baptist that all might believe through him? And you say, did he see the fulfillment of that? I mean, it seems that he had a crushing blow. He's beheaded in prison. It's the end of his ministry. Even Jesus takes the disciples and they go away for a while because of the sadness of the reality of John the Baptist's death. Look at John chapter 10. I want to show you the fruit of this man's evangelistic life. This is the fruit of this man's evangelistic life. Don't be sad for John the Baptist. Don't be sad for him. You want to see the fruit of his ministry? In scriptural terminology, John chapter 10, Jesus said, verse 34, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? In other words, you're, you're detractors of mine because I say I'm the son of God, you're sons of God. Why is it blasphemous for me to say I'm the son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. And then notice just these last three verses of John 10. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. That's that very phrase that was used in John 1, right? Beyond the Jordan, where John the Baptist was baptizing, and he was staying there, verse 41, many came to him from the, the very activity of John the Baptist and his ministry just a short time prior to that. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Verse 42, many believed in him there. That's so wonderful to me. John the Baptist laid the foundation as the forerunning minister of Jesus Christ. And yes, he died horrible death. But because of what he did, 
And because of his evangelistic encounters with so many people preaching that repentance, the Bible declares about this man that many believed in the very area where John the Baptist had his most fruitful work. And he didn't get to see it with his own eyes. And he didn't get to hear it with his own ears. But Jesus said about him through John the beloved disciple, that he, John the Baptist, had a wonderfully fruitful evangelistic ministry. I close with this. Alexander McLaren wrote, This man, before he was four and twenty hours a disciple, that is Nathaniel, had made another disciple. Some of you have been disciples for as many years and have never even tried to make one. Whether we're talking about John the Baptist where somebody could say, well, I'm not John the Baptist. I mean, I wasn't in any sense able to fill his shoes. And I'm certainly not Jesus the evangelist. But if you're like Nathaniel, less than 24 hours after his following of Christ, he made a disciple. How long has it been since you shared the gospel with someone else? I was so overwhelmed that when we went to the, to the week of conferences, the preachers and preaching conference, that when we came back, we were given a ride by a, a man, actually in his 50s, who gave Pastor John and I a ride uh, from the airport. And we were talking to him. And I asked him, just as we were sitting in the car, tell me about yourself. And that just opened up a flood of response from him. And he said, I know that I'm lost. And he didn't even know at that point that we were preachers. And he said, I know that I'm lost, but I'm, I'm searching. I'm searching for something. And we were able to speak to him a word of the gospel. And that opportunity was definitely a divine appointment. Because you could tell the ripeness of his heart wanting to come to a place of knowing precisely who Jesus is. And we had... 40 minutes of a captive audience. It was phenomenal. You can pray for him. And I can pray for you for all of those evangelistic opportunities that you have right now in your friendships, in your relationships, in your schools, in your workplace, wherever it is, and with whatever you're doing and how you're doing it. Why don't you take some of these principles and apply them to your own evangelistic emphasis in the lives of others and let's see what the Lord will do. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the patience of these dear ones that something of what was shared will spur them on to see the very evangelistic opportunities, not just of John the Baptist and not just of Jesus, as important and foundational as they are, but even like Nathaniel, who as soon as he followed Christ, brought others with him. As soon as Andrew followed Christ, he turned around to his brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah. Reminds me of that account of one beggar telling another where he's found bread. Lord, may it be so that you could use us to bring others to know and love the Savior and to follow him as Lord. May we do that for your glory and for the sake of the building up of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Lance quotes theologian Andrew McLaren who wrote, some of you who have been disciples for many years and not even tried to make one, Nathaniel, less than 24 hours after his following Christ, 
He made a disciple. Some might say, of course, Nathaniel was walking with God incarnate, Jesus. Who wouldn't be a disciple maker? Do we forget that as believers, we have God, the Holy Spirit with us 24-7? If you haven't been following the Spirit's leading and now want to, let's start a conversation. Visit our website, TimelessTruthToday.org. TimelessTruthToday.org. Click Contact Us and we'll respond. We can start a conversation there. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn and a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you've been encouraged by this teaching program, we invite you to help support it by making a financial gift. Your gift will help continue sending this Christ-centered message to thousands of listeners. You can make your gift on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, and at the homepage, click Donate. Listen tomorrow, it's part four in our continuing series, John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.